The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City Church. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. Uh, We are starting a brand new series this week. Um, It's called Sacred City DNA. And you probably got two little booklets as you walked in. The first one that just says Sacred City Church on it. This is what we call our prospectus. It's kind of like our vision packet. Um, The whole series is going to be roughly based on this. Um, We don't deviate much from this. So if you want to know what we're about, you can really read in here and and find out what we're about. The way we structure our church is kind of on the last page. Um, This is why we do what we do, who we are, and then how we live because of what Christ has done for us. So this series is going to be based roughly around this. And then... um, The second book, it's a little thicker. It's the one that says Sacred DNA on it. This one, um, Rich has, Pastor Rich has went through a lot of work and and put this together. This is awesome. What this is right here is a devotional guide. It's an eight-week study for you personally to go through and work out um, what we're talking about on Sunday. So this literally walks you through every day of the week starting tomorrow uh, for the next eight weeks. So I would really encourage you to go through this in your devotional time with the Lord and walk through it. It's going to walk, you're going to, it's going to really take what we talk about on Sunday and kind of press it deeper down in your life. All right. So uh, a lot of work, a lot of time and some money went into creating this. So please don't just throw this in the back window of your car. If you are going to do that, just drop it off in the back and uh, we'll give it to somebody else. So please don't do that. Uh, but we've made this available to you. Hopefully uh, you find it formative. You find it very beneficial. And we'll be referring to it uh, throughout our series. Um, when I was praying about what should I, how should I start this series? Uh, eight weeks, basically the majority of the time at Sacred City, we just choose books of the Bible and we just plug our way through books of the Bible. Last week, we finished up the book of Ephesians, a six-chapter book that we were in for about nine months or so. Uh, it took us to get through the book of Ephesians. It was a joy. Um, after this series, the Lord has placed on my heart, uh, we're going to be going through the book of Genesis, uh, the book of Origins, the book of Beginnings. Um, if, you, if you are a math major in this room, it took me nine months to get through six chapters. Genesis is 40, 50 chapters. So, uh, but it's narrative. It's a different genre of the Bible. So it's good. we're going to be able to take chunks at a time, at least a chapter at a time, and go through. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but that's pretty much the next year. The next year of Sacred City Church, we will be eight weeks here in this series, our DNA, and then at least 49 weeks in, uh, in the book of Ephesians. So we are excited about that. I'm personally excited about that. I've... Uh, Genesis, what did I just say? Ephesians, Ephesians man. Uh, yeah. We're not spending 40 We could, listen, believe me. I could go right back to Ephesians. I've literally been tempted to do that. Because as you get through it, you're like, oh man, I could preach it 10 different ways. So it's good. But So today, we're starting our Sacred City DNA series. And I just want to um, welcome you to this. Welcome to this series. You're going to find out a little bit more about our church, what makes us who we are. Um, You come in right away, and it's different. Um, We don't have greeters in the parking lot. Um, You know, we don't have we don't have music that's like, you know, melting your face off, and that everybody hears on the radio all the time. Um, There's there's 
repentance in our service. There's, what, why do we do things we do? And then you hear these terms like missional community. What does that mean? And what is that about? Is that just another term for small groups? Absolutely not. It is not. If you've been to one, I met a couple this, um, I think last night or the night before, and they said, we thought it was a small group, and it's not a small group. I said, no, it's not. Most of them aren't even small. So, no, it's not a small group. It's different. Uh, you're going to learn what that means and, and why we do this and, and what's, what really is the DNA of Sacred City Church. If you've been around here at all, um, we say the word missional a lot, right? And unfortunately, it's a terribly misinterpreted term. Um, it needs clarification. It's got a brilliant definition. It's got a brilliant meaning, but many pastors and people have got on the internet and listened to some podcasts and heard the term missional thrown around and they think they understand what it means, so they slap the term missional on in whatever they want to do. So we're a missional church. Well, you can't just slap that on on the label of a church. A missional church is literally uh, the ecclesiology of the church. The way this church is structured has to be centered around mission. You can't just be, uh, you know, an everyday, just a Sunday morning gathering and then slap the term missional on it. Missional really goes into the very DNA of everything we do. Everything we do at this church, at Sacred City, is done with an outward focus. We do um, theological training. We do Sacred City Seminary and we do it in a bar. Every week while we're doing this training, people stumble in the back and look at us and they go, there really is a Bible study going on back here. It's like a joke. They're the joke because it's karaoke night too. And oh Lord, have mercy. <clears throat> but missional means everything we do has an outward focus. Okay, even Sunday morning, which Sunday morning primarily is a gathering of believers for covenant renewal, coming back into renewal, saying, God, we left our covenant, we walked away this week, and we need your blessing once again, so we repent and we have faith. Even this is done with an outward focus. In a different way, not attractional. We don't dumb it down. We don't water things down. We think... Uh, unbelievers and outsiders looking towards our faith, they don't want a dumbed-down version. They want to know the truth. They want to know reality. They want to know the deeper issues. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> to say, now listen, this, this sermon, I basically, it's Sacred City DNA and it's the missional God. To say that God is missional is to say that God has a mission. Today, we're going to be introduced to what that mission is. Now, as soon as I say that, many of us wrongly assume, oh, yeah, yeah, God has a mission, save souls. God wants to save souls. Many of us wrongly assume that God's mission is just saving souls. That vision is far too small for our almighty God. So I'm going to get my cards on the table pretty quick this, this morning, and I'm going to jump to the end of the story first. I'm told that there are many people, I'm not one of them, but I'm told there are many people that when they get a new fiction book, they like to jump and read the last chapter first to know how things are going to finish up, and then they go and read the story. They don't like to be guessing the whole time. I, I like to be guessing. Actually, I like to figure it out in the first chapter and then get to the end and see if I actually was right. But that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start in the back. We're going to go uh, to the end of the story. And then this is what we call reverse engineering. We're going to start at the end and then work backwards. 
When it comes to understanding, listen, the big questions of life, all religions are, are attempts to answer the big questions of life. Even secularism is an attempt to answer the big questions of life. It just does it very poorly, right? Who are we? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Who is God? Is there a God? What does he do? What's his nature? For us, you can either either start in the beginning. You can start in Genesis where God created everything. And you can work out who we are, what we're made for, who God is, what's the end of all creation. You can work out, work, you can work that out from Genesis or because we've been given a snapshot into the future, you can go to the future, you can read about what's going, what it's going to look like there and then you can work backwards from that and that's called reverse engineering. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to reverse engineer the mission of God. So if you have a Bible which I hope everyone does. And if you don't, there's some sitting in the back that we would love for you to grab. Turn to Revelation 21. The book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. We're going to read a little bit of 21, then we're going to read a little bit of 22. When you're there, say there. All right. The Apostle John is writing this from the island of Patmos. He's in prison. He's the last of Jesus' uh, 12. He's the last one that's still alive. They've all been um, killed for their faith. They've all been martyred. And now uh, John is in prison on the island of Patmos. And this is what he's writing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We're going to skip to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. It's Jesus. 
By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of sun, no light or of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is where all of creation is heading. This is the end to which God created the world. In this newly created heaven and earth, God will be most glorified and we will be most happy. Our joy, our happiness in His glory are linked together. This, Revelation 21 and 22, is where everything is moving towards. This is the end. And I want you to see this. It's a city. It's a new city. It talks about kings will bring their glory into it. It's a city filled of culture. It's a city renewed. It's a city without pain. It's a city without light because the Lamb is the light. Jesus is the light. It doesn't need a sun anymore. Christopher Wright, one of my favorite theologians, says this. Mission, this is what we're building this whole sermon on today. Mission means inviting all peoples of the earth to hear the music of God's future and dance to it today. Mission means hearing, inviting all people of all the earth to Hear the music of God's future and dance to it today. See, this future is on its way. This future, God is bringing it about. God is moving all creation towards that end. He's bringing it about. But there's a way that kingdom people, there's a way that believers in Jesus Christ can hear that music and dance to it today. There's a way that the kingdom of God can break into our everyday normal rhythms of this life today. This is the mission of God. But as you know, we're not there yet. We live in a world full of chaos and pain. Our lives are marked by struggle and sin. And even our best days are filled with mayflies and mosquitoes. Last week I was preaching, or I was speaking at the Sacred City Seminary. Um, We're in the back patio of 11th Street Precinct. And I was getting pretty excited. And all of a sudden, mayfly right in my mouth. I'm like, this is not right. I'm preaching the word of God and I'm choking on mayflies. Right? Riding my motorcycle. It's horrible down by the river right now. We live in a world that even the most beautiful weather, even the best days are still marked by imperfection. Many times when talking about heaven... 
and the new heavens and the new earth. People talk about the pure golden streets. Like they say, the, it says the streets are so gold, so pure, the gold is so pure that it's translucent. You can see right through it. They talk about the golden streets. They talk about the absence of tears. They talk about eternal life, but they miss the point of it all. This is why they haven't captured the, the, the imagination of the young people of this generation. If heaven is just about pretty aesthetics, it's still unfulfilling. A week, or, a week or two at the beach is great. But have you ever talked to a person who lives there? Man, I love the beach. How often do you guys go? Uh, I think I went last August. What? You, you get to look at the beach you live right here and you don't ever... Yeah. You know. just becomes monotonous. That's why I like living in the Midwest. <laughs> right? You go to the mountains. Ah. Oh, go to the beach. Ah. Oh, and then you're back to cornfield, baby. <laughs> the spectacle of heaven isn't just the streets or even our eternal bodies. I can't even get my mind around an eternal body. When I get excited and I can feel my blood pumping, what's it going to feel like in heaven? Will I have blood? Will my heart be pumping? We have new created bodies, physical bodies. What's it going to be like? Can I run dead sprint without breathing heavy? Do I need air to breathe? Ooh, Morpheus, good question. <clears throat> we will worship him. Now listen, this is, this is the point. The street's not the point. New created bodies aren't the point. No death, that's not even the point. What's the point? What's the end? What's the, what's the, what's the center of the new creation? What's the center of where all eternity is headed? this. The spectacle of heaven is this. The only holy, wise, eternal God, listen, will dwell with us. He will be our God and we will be his people. Now, that might not be attractive to you. And I would say it's because if it's not attractive to you, it's because you're not seeing things clearly. He is the source of all beauty. He is the source of all good. He's the source of all creation. He's the source of everything you love on this planet. He's the source of, he's the better version of, everything that you like ends in him. Even sexual union is just a, is just a hint at what he can do to your soul and to your heart. When I look at the Grand Canyon and my jaw drops and I'm, oh, and I'm just inspired, it's nothing compared to the God whose finger drew it. We will worship Him and dwell with Him in a city without the restraints of sin. Oh, I can't wait. Without fear, without doubt, without unbelief. We won't want to hide from him because of the guilt of our indwelling sin. We will be new and totally free from the presence of sin. What a day. He says in Revelation, the curse will be removed. But if you're new to the faith, if you're new this morning, 
the curse. See, we started at the end. This is the last chapter of the book. This new creation where you never get enough of God. Every single day, you'll want more of Him and you'll get more of Him. It's an ever-increasing reality. See, we can never fully know God. We can never completely know God because He's God and we're not. But every day, we will know Him better. We will know Him more deeply. We'll know ourselves and our friends more deeply. And it's this eternal pursuit of knowing God, this eternal pursuit of His glory and our joy. Every day gets better and better. Unlike days at the beach, that every day it kind of wears off a little bit. Absolute opposite in heaven. Every day it gets better in the new creation, in the new earth. So this demands, talking about the curse, demands that we go back in the story. Many, many people in our culture today have no idea who this God is. See, God... God is only known through what He says and what He does. It's the only way you can know God. You cannot know God by yoga. You cannot know God by meditation. You cannot know God by being spiritual, a spiritual person. You cannot know God by walking through the trees. You can't know God in that way. Romans tells us you can get a glimpse of Him, you can get a a figment of Him, but you don't know what He's like. You don't know what His character's like, what His nature's like. Like, I look at the mountains and I say, okay, God must be powerful. But then I I see hurricanes and tornadoes and then I would say, well, God must be mean. God must be vindictive. God must be aloof and not care about humanity. We can't know the nature of God without His Word. We can only know God through what He said to us and what He's done. And the God of the Bible... Is what theologians call transcendent. It means God is incomparable to anything inside of creation. There is nothing within our reality to which we can adequately compare God with. He is in a class all His own. He is over and above all. He is unique. He was never created, yet He created all there is. By rights of creation, he is king over all and he cre- because he created everything and he can do anything that he wants with his own creation. Psalms often says that God, God does whatever he pleases, whenever he wants, however he wants. God has no rules. God can do what he wants to do. He's God. He's king and authority over all things. So before anything existed, this is what the God of the Bible says, before anything existed, God did. He existed as an infinitely happy trinity. Three gods, or three, I'm sorry, not three gods, one God and three persons. Three persons in one Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This triune God that exists outside of time and space decided together, many theologians call this the covenant of redemption. This is just crazy. In eternity past, before he created anything, the triune God have a council. They, they communicate to one another and they decide, let's have a mission. Let's do something. They didn't need to. They wanted to. They weren't like bored. I'm really bored. Give me some people to manage. 
Many say that it was just an overflow from their essence. They were so in love. They were so worshipful of one over the other. They were so in submission to one over the other that just creation burst forth. And that may be true, but it was no accident. God made all there is. He is the only creator. No one has created anything since. We merely make things out of stuff that's already here. Right? I can build a deck, but it takes materials for me to do that. I got to get wood. I got to get fasteners. I got to do the work. God created nothing to something. This, this concept still amazes me. I think I was in junior high when my science teacher was telling me about the Big Bang and he was telling me about uh, evolution and we're going to talk a lot about that in the Genesis series. And He's telling me all these things and I just started thinking, okay, I just had this one question. Well, where'd that come from? And he said, well, you know, gases. And I said, okay, well, where'd that come from? He said, well, you know, energy. And I said, okay, where'd that come from? Well, you know, well, where'd that come from? It's like I'm, a junior, I'm in junior high, right? All I'm thinking about is girls, and I can somehow come up with this one question. Well, where'd that come from? And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. If we're a result of evolutionary process, where did the process begin? Where did the materials begin? We still cannot produce life from non-life. No one can create anything. They have to have materials to create. We make things. It's completely different than creating things. So God creates all things, and then he creates man and woman in his image to walk and talk with him in the garden. A perfect garden without sweat, without toil, without pain or death. And he gives them a purpose and he tells them to tend the garden. Tend the garden, that's what it means. Make culture, have babies, build cities, live lives of worship, giving praise back to your creator. That's the the mandate, the cultural mandate that God gave Adam and Eve, the first human beings on this planet. Go make babies, make culture, be fruitful and multiply, build cities. Listen, in that original mandate, in that original go go, Adam and Eve, go do this, God, when he was telling them to go do this, he had new creation, new heavens, new earth in his mind. Mm, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I almost just did. Listen, this is where the God of the Bible differs from most religions. God is not only transcendent. Many of us are okay with that. Okay, God is completely other. He's completely distant. He's completely different. He's holy. He's not like me. Other religions of the world say that. They have a God that's completely transcendent. They have a God that's up there. and You can't really know him. And all you do is shut up and obey. But this is where the God of the Bible differs. Our God is transcendent, but he's also, as theologians would say, he's imminent. He's not only over and above, he's also present and close to his creation. He's not, now listen, this is different. He's not a part of his creation. Like some 
Uh, like a lot, there's like panentheism. It's a, it's, a, it's a religion of its own. If you've ever seen the movie Avatar, you don't even know it. But this kind of Hindu mentality is behind it, that God is present in all things, that Mother Earth actually has an essence, and Mother Earth actually is a part of God herself. It's panentheism. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is imminent, or God is transcendent away, but he's also imminent. He's close to us, he's near, but he's not inside it. He's not a part of it. If you worship creation, you actually worship, worship an idol. God is not a part of his creation, but he's close to his creation. In the garden, now this is, this is just nuts to me. The transcendent, almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, means he knows everything from the end. He knows the end from the beginning. As Jesus said, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That transcendent God walks with man. He's within earshot of man in the garden, in the cool of the day. He was walking, he was humbling himself to be in a relationship with man. Then evil, and we know, most of us know this story, then evil enters the picture. Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan and they rebel from God's righteous rule and God institutes his divine rescue plan. Now listen, when I first became a Christian, I used to think that salvation was God's plan B. I used to think, man, God had this awesome plan and then we screwed it all up and now he instituted plan B. Like when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden God was like, <gasps> right? Jesus is looking like, oh my dad, what are we going to do? Right? Listen, Adam and Eve's disobedience did not make God institute plan B to fix things. That's not the case. This is God's plan A. God had Adam's disobedience planned before he created him. Oof. It was part of his mission. The entrance of sin into the story of God is a vital and necessary step towards his mission of having a people and a place in new creation. It's a vital chapter. In the many religions of the world, you either have a God who is transcendent, who needs to be pacified, or you have a power, a being, an essence, an aura, a chakra that is imminent but has no standards. So in, in every religion on the face of the planet, you either have a transcendent God who's completely distant or even imminent God who's just really like us, who just really loves us and we're just special and we can kind of control him and we can do what we want. The Christian God is neither and both. He's different. He's holy and separate and demands for his wrath to be appeased. But he's also gracious and loving, and therefore he provides the sacrifice himself. The Greek gods demanded human sacrifice. 
And no one thought the Greek gods would love them. That's... It's not about love. It's about duty. It's about obeying. Their gods were not. We sacrifice. We do things to pacify them. Christianity is totally different. He's a wrathful God. He's a vengeful God. He's a just God. He's a holy God that demands sacrifice. But he's a gracious God that provides the sacrifice himself. I might be getting ahead of myself. The holy God of the Bible doesn't destroy man when Adam and Eve sin. He doesn't destroy man and start over. He judges, but he shows grace. He allows death to enter the human race, but he gives grace to Adam and Eve, and death doesn't come instantaneous. He gives grace. Thus begins the unfolding of God's covenant of grace with mankind. Further into this story, God chooses and elects Abraham and he chooses him to be this. Listen, this is what he says. I want you, Abraham, to be my people and I will be your God. Exact same language from Revelation 21. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be his people and he will be our God. This is a plan God has been working on from before time. In the council of the Trinity, he had the new creation planned. He had every step along the way planned. When he spoke to Abraham some 4,000 years ago, and he said, you will be a great nation, you will be my people, and I will be your God. He's talking about a covenant relationship that's leading towards the new heavens and the new earth. Abraham's seed becomes the nation of Israel. Israel doesn't fulfill their side of the covenant, but God still moves forward with his mission. His covenant of grace is still marching on. In Revelation 21, scripture said that God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This is so true. This is so true. He is, God is the author. He's the storyteller. He's the plot line. He's the protagonist. He's the meaning and he is the goal. He's the beginning and he's the end. That's the problem with us today. Our culture is pumping us full of lies that say, you're the point. You write your story. You're the author. You can do whatever you want to do. You choose the end to which you work. You choose how you get there. You choose who you want to be and what you want to do and where you're going to go. Scripture gives us a God who's the author. And this story is about Him, about what He's doing, about what He's done, and not about what you do. Not about what I do. He's the beginning, He's the middle, He's the end. Let me show you this. Back in the council of the Trinity, eternity past, nothing's created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect union and perfect happiness. Look, God the Father plans to send Jesus Christ. What? Think about this. Before he made Adam and Eve, they decide to send Jesus to earth. Jesus agrees to this plan 
and he's willing to live the perfect life. Before, he's, before Adam and Eve are recreated, Jesus agrees to, live a, to come to earth, to live a perfect life, to be created, in a sense, to be born with flesh, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death for all the rebellious sinners that God will make. Theologians call this the Missio Dei, the mission of God, the Missio Dei. God sends the Son, therefore God is a missionary God. Think about that just blows my mind. Before Eden, before perfection, God said, Jesus, we're going to make people, they're going to screw it up big time. You're going to go enter their story. Jesus says, all right, I'll do that. I'll leave eternal happiness to be obedient. God is a missionary God. God sent the first missionary. The first missionary, Jesus Christ, in eternity past, said, yes, I will go. Let me break this down. The God with a mission creates humanity with a mission called Israel with a mission, sent Jesus with a mission, sends the Holy Spirit with a mission, and therefore sends His church with a mission. God is a missional God. But today isn't about your mission. It's not what we're talking about today. I'm not starting this series out with what you and I need to be doing. I want us to see that God, what God has done and what He is still doing in and amongst us. The God the Bible reveals is unlike any other God in history. He's not the God of the human imagination. No man would come up with this God. Greek gods, they're so, they're so classic, right? The God of the sea, He's angry so He kills people with storms, right? Zeus, all these gods. The gods of Greek mythology are so like us. They're vengeful, they're angry, they're mean, they're proud, they're arrogant. The God of the Bible is nothing like this. No man thinks of a God like this, holy but humble. Transcendent but imminent. Demanding justice but paying the debt himself. See, God has revealed himself to us. That's why we know him. That's why I'm preaching about him today because God has revealed himself to us through scripture. The perfect, authoritative word of God inspired directly from God. God conceived of this story. God has written this story on the pages of history and God is still guiding this story to its ultimate completion in the new heavens and the new earth. It began with God and it ends with God and we get to be a part of this. That's what's amazing. God has revealed himself to us and we, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been swept up into the current of his, of his mission to renew all things for the glory of God. If you are a believer in here this morning, you have been caught up in that mission. That's where we're flowing to. When I was in, I don't know, I think it was probably junior high. We lived by a creek. And uh, when it would come a big rain in the, in the summer, the creek would flood. 
And I remember me and my brother walking down to this creek, and we looked at each other, and it was big, and we heard a mom's voice in the background that said, never do this. And we said, you first or me first? <laughs> All right? And I remember both, well, I think we did it at the same time. We step in this creek that's, that's flooded, and we're gone. Right? And in a matter of seconds, we probably went 100 yards. It was flowing fast, and we clawed. We, I remember grabbing a bush, and my brother grabbed me, climbed up me, and we climbed out. But I remember how fast that current took us. All I did was step into it, and I was gone. That's what God's mission is doing right now. I want to beat this into our heads. It's not about you. It's not about what you do. You can't get into this kingdom unless he brings you in. You can't get into heaven by begging and pleading and being obedient and doing all the right things and coming to church. You can't do it. He does it for you. I fall into it and I'm gone. And I pray when I'm 70, 80 years old, I'll wake up. And that stream and that current has taken me closer to him. That's where the stream's going. It's going to the new heavens and the new earth where he is our God. He dwells with us. We can see his face, it said. That's where it's heading. This is why we chose the name of our church as Sacred City. It's where we're headed. It's where we're going. Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, he's making all things new. He's redeeming all things. It started in the garden, but it ends in a city. I believe if we could be captured by this vision of what's coming, it will change today. It will change your life. This is why we're here. This is what we're a part of. This is where we're going. But there's millions of people across our nation, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people across our city. And there's dozens of people in this room this morning that think, listen, They think God judges me based on what I do and don't do. On my good deeds versus my bad deeds. They believe the false gospel that says God loves good old boys and good old girls. What's this life about? Just being a, hey, it's about being a good old boy. That's the, that is the gospel of the Quad Cities. Be a good old boy. Someday you'll float around on a cloud with heaven, in heaven with Jesus someday. And our life is like this. Whatever, Tuesday night, you, you've seen it on the news, one of the guys that works up at, at Harley, at Harley Davidson, driving home, some young, some young kid, no license, no insurance, drunk, Drug paraphernalia in the car, crosses the line, kills him on his motorcycle like this. 
And the gospel of our culture says, he's a good old boy. We'll see him again someday in heaven. I have no, I don't know the guy. I have no, I have no, I have no, he could be, if he's a believer in Jesus Christ, he's in heaven. And he's on his way to the new creation when Jesus Christ comes back to institute it. But that's, that question doesn't even come across our mind. He's a good old boy. We'll see him again someday. As a pastor, when I preach funerals, that's expected of me. I feel the weight of getting up there and having to lie. Someone who lives their life completely self-focused, completely like they're the center of all creation, broken relationships just all around their life. They go from guy to guy to guy or girl to girl to girl. They destroy families. They, they, they live a selfish, self-centered life that's all about their entertainment, all about their, what they want to do in their life. And then, and then God takes them. And then a preacher is supposed to get up there and say, he was a good old boy. We'll see him again someday. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. It breaks my heart. I don't want to, I don't like saying that. I don't like get jollies off of, yeah, somebody's going to hell. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible to even think about it. But it's true. Listen, God doesn't love good old boys and good old girls. If you're not, I hope you hear this. If you're not perfect, you're going to hell. Perfect. But here's the plot twist. Here's the plot twist in the story of God. There is one way One way you can get perfection credited to your account. There's one way. You throw yourself completely at the feet of Jesus Christ. The perfect God who became a perfect man and died the perfect death and rose to new life, never to die again. You throw yourself completely at his feet. Only Jesus offers you salvation. Only Jesus can give you the perfection you need to be in right relationship with God. Only Jesus can give you that. Listen, C.S. Lewis goes so far as say that hell is giving sinners what they want. You don't want to be close to God. You don't like to feel guilty. You don't like to feel ashamed. You don't like someone telling you what you're doing is destroying creation, destroying yourself, and hurting people. You want to be your own God. You don't want Him to tell you what to do. Hell is giving you what you want. By definition, if God is absent, it's hell. No love, no light, no glory, no goodness. And C.S. Lewis Lewis goes on to say, heaven would be hell for an unbeliever. It's so real, an unbeliever couldn't handle it. Their eyes couldn't open. He says the, the blades of grass will be so real, they'll pierce through the foot of an unbeliever if he tried to walk on it. Heaven's too real for him. Only Jesus can give you the perfection you need 
to be in a right relationship with God. Listen. Believers don't don't crave streets of gold. It's not the point. Christians, they're not just looking, oh, I can't wait to get out of this place where I don't sweat anymore and I don't bleed anymore. Christians crave God. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to be near to him. I want to know him better than I do today. I want to know him in a way that doesn't involve the indwelling sin that I still possess. What will it be like then? Heaven isn't for people who want heaven. Heaven is for people who want God. Only Jesus holds the key to the new creation. It's the only key. Many of you in this room, the Bible tells me there's two types of people in this room. There's those in this room that hear that as good news this morning. It's not dependent on me. I don't have to earn it. I can drop the charade. I can drop the religion. I can drop all my moralism. I can drop all the things that I'm doing to try to earn eternal life and try to earn God's favor. I can drop that and I can accept the righteousness of Christ. Some of you, that's good news. And some of you, that's foolishness. That's bad news. Some of you, you don't want reality. You want to play the game. You want to live that reality TV lifestyle. Hooking up, right? Hook up, shack up, break up. You like that life. The Bible says, man, you're blind. You're a fool. You're missing out. But it's your choice. And I, I plead with you this morning. Jesus Christ, God the Father, in eternity past, planned for you to be here this morning. He planned for you to come through the doors of Sacred City Church. He planned for you to hear that He has a mission, that He's after you, He's after a people, He's after a place. This is where everything's headed. Will you believe that this morning? Will you repent and turn from your way Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The only one who's been there. He's been in eternity past. He's been in creation. He's died. He's came back. He's in heaven now. Will you trust his testimony? He offers you this today. And you can take it by faith. In a strange way, Jesus is actually with us this morning. He's here, of course, by his spirit. He's also here because we're gathered together and we are the body of Christ. But he's also here in a unique way in the supper. The elements, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus promised to be here in a special way, almost a mystical way, almost in a way that we just can't get our mind around. He's going to be with us. We take it in. Our body digests it. Takes the nourishment from what we receive today. It pushes it into every cell and every organ of our body. Jesus Christ walks out of here with us. It's amazing. First Corinthians tells us 
to not take this meal for granted, to not take it lightly. In many ways, this is why we gather here. Not just for the preaching of the word, not just for the, for the reading of scripture, not just for the liturgy and the worship. We're here for this. Christ is here with us this morning. And this is what the Bible says. Don't take this in an unworthy manner. That's why we fence the table and we say only baptized believers take this meal. This is a serious matter. Paul the Apostle said some, some people have ate this in an unworthy manner and gotten sick and died. So Paul said, 1 Corinthians. Right? We don't understand that. This is something spiritual. God's doing something. So that's why we fence the table and we say baptized believers only. But if you're a baptized believer this morning, he also says, check your heart. Come repentant. If you have something against a brother, go to him, go to her, and confess your sins one to another. Don't do this out of just rote, you know, just routine. This is meaningful. This is transcendent here. God is transcendent and imminent in the meal this morning. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your story. That all meaning and all purpose comes out of how you created us and who you are and also out of where we're headed and where we're going. I ask that you would save souls in here this morning. That some people would jump in that river, that would jump in that current this morning. That's on a mission to renew all of creation for the glory of God, that we're headed towards that people and the place. And those Christians in this room that have a hardened heart because of their unrepentance, that you would break through that hard shell of their exterior. You would break through their arrogance. You would break through their pride. You would break through their religion. You would break through the moralism. You'd break through the licentiousness. Break through anything that you need to break through, you'd break through and your word would be a two-edged sword that would pierce the soul, pierce their heart with the word of God and you would communicate your perfect love to them. You are ascending God. You are a missional God. You are on a mission to renew all of creation for the glory of God. And our joy is found in that. Thank you for this meal. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your spirit given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.